0: Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global rate specialists. Giles Gale, head of European rate strategy, Blake Gwynn, head of front-end rate strategy in the Americas, and Theo Chapsalis, head of UK rate strategy. This week, there's been little else to talk about really other than the US election. Uh, felt like a very long week waiting for that result to come out, and it feels like we finally got there this weekend. So uh, without further ado, I will pass straight on to you, Bake, to give us your updated thoughts on those US election, election results.
1: Thanks, Imogen. Yeah, what a week. I mean, it's, it's nuts thinking about it now. We actually had a Fed meeting and a Treasury refunding announcement all last week, which in their own right any other time would have been huge, uh, huge market events and nobody even knew this to happen. It was, uh, you know, all consuming uh, uh, watching the election results continue to take in. So uh, where we're at right now, I mean, it looks like we're pretty much headed to a split government. Um, we still have two runoff races, uh, Senate races in Georgia. Those are going to be January 5th. Uh, if Democrats do manage to take both of those races, um, you know, we would be heading to a 50, 50 Senate, in which case vice president Harris would serve as a tie break, uh, meaning Democrats would be in charge. They'd get to, um, uh, put their own party members in charge of most of the committees, kind of set the agenda, call things for a vote. So it does give them a fair amount of power, uh, uh, if they were to take those, uh, uh, two, two elections in Georgia. But at this case, that doesn't really seem, uh, like the most probable outcome. Um, If you kind of just replay the election results from last week, rerun them with only uh, uh, the two leading candidates in each of those Senate races, it still looks like uh, the Republicans have enough votes. Uh, You kind of wrap in uh, Libertarian got a few votes in one of the races, and there were also a lot of other uh, kind of conservative candidates that were splitting uh, the vote in the special election. So if you kind of assume that all those votes migrate towards, uh, you know, towards The Republican. um, It it would seem more likely that they take both of those races, but there's going to be a lot of cross currents. Dynamics can change a lot. Um, You know, I probably put I'd say around 20-25% odds on on Democrats taking both of those seats, uh, meaning that it it does look like kind of an overwhelming probability at this point that that we are headed to uh, uh, some type of split government. I think the interesting thing is that prior to the election, we had really seen this as the worst outcome for risk. Um, You know, we saw it as a a meaningful flattener for the U.S. Treasury curve. Uh, You know, really thought rates were going to rally on this. Um, The curve was going to flatten. But um, that really isn't what's happened. I mean, things are a little bit cluttered today because of the vaccine news. So we're starting to get some market reaction to that. But if we can just isolate what happened after the election, um, overall, it really wasn't as negative as expected. The Treasury curve did indeed flatten a little bit, but it was very modest. I mean, we basically just traded back to levels that we were at in mid-October prior uh, you know, prior to the election. Um, and if you look at kind of inflation expectations, you know, they came off slightly, which is to be ex- expected, but much, much less um, than I personally w- would have foreseen. Um, you know, I thought this would have been a kind of a big catalyst. The split government would have been a big catalyst for for um, things to reprice a little. I think the biggest surprise, though, is probably the equity market reaction is they um, you know, they didn't even see that temporary or, or small uh, backup. They basically continued to rally entire, entirely through the election. So so this was certainly, I think, a bit surprising to me, I think probably to a lot of market participants. Um, I, you know, trying to think of why they didn't react as we expected, you know, it's, it's possible that this is just a broad relief that the election is finally behind us. Um, you know, investors were kind of holding back into the election. We did hear this as a theme a lot heading into it that investors were staying very neutral. We talked about that in some of our prior podcasts. Um, and that maybe now that the election's passed, this is just it's out of the way. It doesn't really matter per se what the um outcome was, uh, as long as it wasn't uh, you know, a big market shock. Investors are now feeling more comfortable to to kind of re-engage uh with the markets. Perhaps you've got a little bit of enthusiasm still on. Uh, the potential for a blue wave light, you know, if if Democrats are able to take these uh, Georgia Senate races, you know, we we aren't completely sure that we're getting a split government yet. So maybe there's a little optimism on that. Um, or perhaps, you know, we were just underweighting uh, the value that markets were placing on uh, what's I think, you know, everyone would probably argue is going to be a less volatile administration. Um, so I think you, you kind of take all those things on board. And, um, you know, we just we just haven't seen the market reaction that we expected. Um, so uh, I, I think going forward from here, um, you know, the obvi- I think the attention is obviously going to shift to COVID and vaccine news is the primary curve and rates driver. Now that you know we've kind of got the election in the rearview mirror, um, at this point it doesn't really seem like you know the the election panned out to be this kind of big um, you know market moving event. And I think looking forward, even as we you know see these uh, uh, Trump court challenges start to fade and, um, and, and you get these Georgia results, I don't expect this to be a, a really big market mover. You've kind of had the upside tail risk clipped by democratic underperformance, uh, meaning that you know even if they take these two Georgia Senate seats, um, it's, it, they're, they're governing with a very, very thin uh, majority in the Senate just on the tie break, meaning they're going to have to scale back any kind of plans they had for fiscal stimulus. They're probably not going to get anything done on, on tax hikes. Um, you know, if they wanted to increase regulation through legislation, that's probably off the table at this point. So, so really, everything that people were kind of planning on in this very strong Dem sweep is off the table. So you kind of clip that upside uh, uh, upside risk there, and then on the downside, it it just doesn't seem, given what we've seen in the last few days, it doesn't seem that markets really care about a split government as much as we thought they would. So, um, so even going forward, I, I it it seems like we're really shifting into a mode now where uh, uh, covid vaccines are going to be the major driver of markets
0: okay so one of the big market reactions that we were talking about you know before the election was this steepener and part of that was driven by our expectations of a biden win and a democrat sweep and or kind of green light towards big fiscal stimulus clearly that's or all- potentially with only a 25% chance of of Democrats taking the Senate, that's kind of off the table now. So what is your expectation for fiscal stimulus for next year?
1: Oh, yeah. And and even still, I mean, look, even even that 20-25% outcome, that still doesn't get you the kind of stimulus that we had kind of expected prior to the election, where we thought Dems were going to come in, you know, with with, uh, a larger majority in the Senate, they were going to come in with this kind of mandate uh, uh, to enact a lot of Biden's agenda. And the fact that it's so close and the fact that they underperformed in a lot of these state races um, just means that all the, all that kind of cachet and that power to, to to get a lot done on the fiscal side is is really gone. Um, even when, it, you know, as I said, even if they kind of eke out this 50-50 split in the Senate somehow, um, you know, you know. You basically have to have a party-line vote on every issue that's put forward to get that 50, um, and there are a lot of centrist Democrats, uh, you know, in Senate that have to worry about re-election. They have to, um, you know, worry about uh, uh, kind of being painted with the farther-left factions of the Democratic Party, and they're going to be very wary about voting for big fiscal stimulus or environmental spending or any kind of tax hikes, as I said. So. Enforcing discipline to get all fifty of them to vote uh, uh, for a lot of this stuff is, is going to be difficult. Meaning that, you know, something like three trillion dollars—that that had been something I had been thinking about—if if they had come in with a very strong victory and a big majority in the Senate, I think they could have gone back to that Heroes Act that they talked about five or six months ago. That was three trillion dollars. That's off the table. Even if they managed to to take these, we'd still be talking about something around two trillion. Um, if they don't manage to take those Senate races, I mean, it could be as low as 500 billion, or even nothing. Um, if McConnell uh, uh, is in charge of the Senate and really wants to uh, prevent, you know, these things from moving forward, he has the power to do that. He has the power to to kind of stop progress on any of these things. Um, and if anything, some of the positive economic news, you know, we got a good NFP print um, last Friday. That kind of gives him a little bit more ammo to say, hey, we don't really need big fiscal stimulus. So, um, you know, if if this split, if they do end up split we could talk, we could be talking about nothing.
0: So where does that leave the balance between kind of fiscal and and monetary policy? One of the big themes, one of the big themes globally has been the shift towards fiscal dominance and away from monetary dominance. Is this the end of of fiscal policy now? Do we have to see monetary policy coming back to play in a big way in the US or?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think in a way it's going to be, it's, 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 really possible that we see vaccine news or developments actually bail out on the fiscal side because you know I, I think heading into this year if McConnell's in charge and and they really want to uh, you know they kind of approach this like they did the Obama administration where it's really about uh kind of stopping any kind of uh, uh progress from being made to you know hopefully swing back uh, uh the midterm elections um, if you're in that kind of scenario, you're not getting any fiscal tailwinds, so it's tough to say fiscal dominance is the big theme. If you know you're really not getting any anything on the fiscal side, but I think in some ways you end up there not by choice or or not by uh, um, anything done on 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 Congress or or on Biden's behalf, but because monetary policy side at this point is looking uh, a little light on the toolbox. Um, you know, as much as they'll protest uh, to the opposite. I mean, you, you've Kind of seen in a lot of the Fed speak uh, that's come out. You know how much questions about how much more asset purchases are really going to do. They don't want to take rates negative. I mean, extending forward guidance. You know these things aren't really going to do a whole lot to to boost economic activity at this point. And so I think um, you know they're really kind of hoping on the fiscal side. And if we don't get anything there, I, I don't know that monetary policy is going to be able to provide a whole lot more.
0: Okay, makes sense. So Giles, it felt like in Europe, last week certainly we were all a bit paralyzed by the US elections and and the market couldn't focus on anything else despite it being in the US and not Europe and one thing we've been arguing well I guess with particular reference to Italy is this theme of the political backdrop actually being much more benign in Europe now and, and populist parties have been uh, kind of losing ground in the polls and I guess that theme was kind of uh, reaffirmed over the weekend with with Trump's loss um, so how are we thinking about core rates from here I guess that kind of uncertainty out of the way plus today news uh today being Monday news on the COVID vaccine front um it should all play pretty nicely for our bearish core rates view, shouldn't it
2: yeah well um the first thing I'll say is um after that high octane download from from Blake I sort of feel like I need to take a big deep breath I mean on on Donald Trump and, um, well, uh, you know, and his departure, I think that that is a pretty unambiguous positive for sentiment about um, about European politics. It's going. I mean, it's, it's bound to be. You know, I think one of the things that we've been saying um, a lot over the course of this year is that, you know, one of the surprises is that populism has been in retreat and, you know, this really is just yet another... Uh, manifestation of that, but it's a particularly important one because Donald Trump had a strategic uh, focus on um, undermining, I suppose, the the EU and you know, in, in in many different ways. And it's just going to be much harder, I think, for um, for populists who might try to use. That sort of anti-EU rhetoric really to get any uh, any traction, and as, as I say, this is the continuation of a theme. But it should be positive, I think, for for European, I suppose, sentiment generally, but in particular, obviously for uh, for peripheral issuers and so on. Um, with regard to where it leaves us for for rates overall, yeah, I think no, that does feed into the the bearish view, as in you know, rates higher view, quite nicely. You um, know good what's good for risk tends to to push in that direction and you know i mean obviously the us elections were, bi- were were big and important but really what's been hanging over europe for the last couple of months above all has been the the terrible covid um headlines and you know, the the real the real sense of pessimism um, that uh, has been coming from that. And last week, you know, for the first time, we really sort of felt like we could see an improvement in some of the trends, um, a little bit tentative, but in, in some countries, but really quite clear in others, for example, in Ireland and, and Belgium, those were were two where it was really quite obvious. Um, this is something we're looking at very carefully. And, you know, it does feel like those that, that improvement is building. And you know, that was before we had this news this morning from uh, from Pfizer with its um, you know, very encouraging results on efficacy for its vaccine. So overall, I think, yeah, um, you know, we've got a few themes here which appear to be coming together quite nicely for our bearish uh, rates view. All
0: we'll oh, is working finally. Um, so perfect. just stick, I guess, for now, with the theme of politics the US election um and quickly if i just go to you theo um because it's also turning out to be a critical few weeks for brexit uh, what how, or how much of a bearing do you think that the US election may well have now on brexit and, and what are our latest thoughts on on the uk situation
3: yeah, I think the, the UK is a market which was predominantly um, driven by politics. 2019 was definitely a year dominated by UK politics, and uh, okay. this is everything that has affected the, the the guilds market. The coming weeks are definitely critical. Um, there are high expectations in the market, with most market participants expecting a deal to be fleshed out in the next two to three weeks. Um clearly uh, this this has got uh, implications both for the fixed income higher yields um potentially steeper curve but it's, it's primarily a sell the ten, 10-year ten sector uh if this is to happen i think and 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 and, and the other aspect is really the um, you know, the implication for for inflation that the market as things stand uh is expecting uh, is 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 fearful of hyper inflation to kick in because of some sort of disruption uh in brexit but if we do have a deal this obviously takes out this uh premium from the front end of the curve so it has implications both for rates and for um for inflation i think this is this is the political side what the market will have definitely to figure out and we will have to do that ourselves is to to find out how deep the integration will be between the uk and the eu in the future relationship because the underlying assumption is that it will be a very skinny deal and this is what everybody Largely expects, which means that, you know, there will be a disruption. This disruption will have implications again for fixed income. Uh, however, I think the the, the risk is. If the deal is not that bad and not so disruptive, and this will be key, so this potentially could provide, you know, a, a support to the risk on um, the sentiment that we have in the UK. So this is this is on the politics on the on the politic side. I think the other uh, um, topic that we definitely need to discuss is uh, policy, and this would be monetary policy, for example, uh, and uh, fiscal policy, right? So on the monetary policy, we had um, pretty much the BOE announcing $150 billion of QE last week, which by itself, it may seem like a huge number. And it is a huge number, but the pace will be the same as what we had this year. At the same time, fiscal policy is here. And we expect at least around 30 billion of additional spending as part of the furlough schemes. So, monetary and fiscal policy, they will have to go hand in hand together in 2021. And, well, the difference of those, the difference in the pace of those, will uh, largely uh, define the, the the direction and the move uh, in yields.
0: So, given our kind of base case, uh- Brexit scenario. Do we expect more from the Bank of England next year, or do you think now that we had that more slightly more dovish than expected reaction last week, that's as as much as we're going to get from them in over our kind of forecast horizon?
3: So we think that the Bank of England has got more ammunition, and this is this is a very good point that you bring up. Uh, and in fact, um, it has been um, called into question recently that the Bank of England is reaching the limits of their QE abilities, uh, but we are very far from there. As things stand, the Bank of England could implement at least another 300 billion of QE without uh, changing any of the constraints. So we are far from that. We think that next year more QE is coming, and we think that, well, the deficit will have to stay high and the fiscal policy will have to be supported by monetary policy. So we do expect the two to go together. And we do expect an increase in the stock of QE next year. In fact, the Bank of England, they've said that they are ready to increase the pace of QE, which implicitly means also that the stock of QE will also have to be increased, given that the current pace is similar to the previous pace.
0: Okay, so let's stick with policy for a minute then, because I think in Europe, we've also been having a really interesting Discussion over the last few weeks about um you know future policy expansion we had a really dovish ECB meeting last week uh where Lagarde pretty much pre-committed to uh well recalibrating policy in December um and then since we've had Schnabel who you know we place quite high importance on what she says, but also generally think of her as, as relatively dovish, um, almost walk back a little bit on those expectations and, and argue, well, really against a, a rate cut and and against, uh, you know, significant QE expansion, I would say, at, at risk of further flattening the curve. Um, and with, you know, Giles, we've had a generally more optimistic view on COVID trends, and I would say headlines have been sort of, portraying and also now we have have more positive news on the vaccine front seemingly just as of today so what are we thinking about the future expectation future kind of policy moves from the ecb heading into december when we have this key um, recalibration meeting if you like
2: I think you've said it all, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, it was an important speech, I think, last week from uh, from Isabel Schnabel. And, um, you know, she was pretty explicit about being, you know, her concerns about whether we are close to this reversal rate, which is this idea that, you know, once you cut rates to a certain level, um, it actually starts becoming counterproductive to try to reduce them further. And she was pretty pretty explicit about um, her concerns about anything which flattens the curve. And, you know, the ECB has done quite a lot of work that shows actually they think that rate cuts flatten the curve as much or if not more than quantitative easing itself. So I think that the first conclusion is that they're probably not thinking about rate cuts for for december um i mean at least you know that that that, that, i mean to within a framework where they'd be thinking about everything i think that's probably low likelihood let's put it that way i mean and um i think the markets have been taking that on board a little bit but they still cut have have rate cuts priced in in quite a big way over the ne- over the course of next year and you know i do i do think that if the ecb passes again on cutting rates in december the question of if not now then when is an important and relevant one, so I think that that could well could well be a risk for for markets. You now, with regard to quantitative easing, we do expect them to to, to extend uh, QE and. Um, I think that's probably pretty much consensus. They've probably got some reconfiguration to do of you know how much is, is in the sort of super flexible pep, pep bucket versus the less flexible QE, you know, sort of traditional QE version. Overall, I don't think that we're expecting any big changes to the way that they are actually going to be conducting themselves in the market in the uh, in the foreseeable future, though. And do you think that
0: is against market expectations i know the market moved pretty quickly last thursday to to price in um you know probably yeah. around the thirty. i think
2: i think it's it, it's a little bit it's a little bit negative i think for, for for duration and so that's you know another of the sort of bearish stories that i think you know is, is in the mix for us um certainly something that's worth keeping in mind you know, I mean, one of the things that we've been talking about quite a bit today is, you know, it's been really strong risk on, but you know, some of periphery hasn't been doing quite as well in terms of spreads as you might have expected in that, in, in in those circumstances, and you know, that that might be partly to do with people just pulling back a little bit on how much they think the ECB is going to deliver in terms of QE. But you know, I think that that's just putting the cart before the horse. To be honest with you, I mean, you know, what would you prefer? A bit of macro stabilization or the ECB to be doing a little bit more you know, i think it's pretty clear for me so um, i think that that probably you know, should well, I, I think that, that will come right
0: all right great well thanks everyone for joining it sounds like we've got a busy week ahead and, and we of course will be watching covid trends very closely particularly here in europe and any more news of a vaccine which which could help you know steer markets in in the direction that we've been calling for for the past few weeks thank you I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bondcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.